Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly, for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. start our second message in a new series, Love Story, where we are going to talk about uh, God's tremendous and epic story of love throughout the pages of the book, starting from Genesis 1-1 and God's creation all the way through to Revelation 22, where he talks about the goal and the purpose of love, what one day we will all experience when we get to heaven, perfect and complete relationship and intimacy with God. You know, a couple of weeks ago, you guys remember that we had missionaries here from Australia, and one day after church, we invited them uh, for lunch. And we are uh, sitting around the table, and uh, out of nowhere, my sister likes to ask deep, penetrating questions to get conversations going. And she looks at June, the, the woman missionary, and says, so what was the most significant thing that ever happened in your life? You know, a pretty light conversation as we were sitting around the table. And she says, well, there was two things. And one, she, honestly, I can't even remember what it was. But she said, the second, perhaps even more important, was the day I realized God's love for me. And she meant it. When she said it, it wasn't just empty words about taking the Bible by faith and saying, I know I don't feel this, but this is what it says, so I'm going to believe it, which is true. But you could tell she, was, she really had had that experience. And it was so, I was enamored with it. I said, tell, tell me more about it. And she was talking with somebody, a woman, who, and they were in a prayer uh, time together, and this woman began praying for her. And, and June begins praying out loud, and suddenly she said she was overcome by this sense that God loved her, her. And it was a beautiful story. I mean, I was getting choked up. She was getting choked up. We were, it, was, it was amazing. And so I said, so when did that happen? She said, oh, 2012. Now, for those of you who know Dave and June, they've been in Australia for 35 years. It, they've been in Australia on the mission field well before 2012. They went to Moody well before 2012. They lived the Christian life. They were Christian believers. They knew how to live the Christian life and follow God in obedience and faith. It wasn't until 2012 that June could say that she had that moment where she felt God's love for her she said, and her life has not been the same. It was not a flash in the pan. It was a moment of absolute transformation. You know, we can all do that. We can go through life not ever really feeling the love of God for us. We read the pages of the scripture. 
We know what the Bible says about God's love and how it never ends and it's enduring for generation upon generation and feel, but what about me? But what about me? The Westminster Confession of Faith asks and answers the question, what is the chief end of man? Why does mankind live? And they answer it, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Enjoy him. I want you to ask yourselves today, are you enjoying your relationship with God? Are you walking and feeling, experiencing his love from moment to moment in your life? Because this is God's will for you. It is not that you go through life simply doing and behaving in a way that's consistent with the scripture. He wants your heart and he wants you to experience his. You see, God doesn't just love. Last week we talked about how God and who he is in his being, character, and person is a lover. That he loves us. But do, do you know that God loves you? You know, God doesn't just know everything. God knows you. God doesn't just superintend his creation, but he cares for you and your life. You know, if we don't come to terms with this soon, we're going to waste our lives. We're going to waste every breath that we have that was intended to be lived before the face of God, being lavished in his love. That is my goal. Now, June's story tells me, and the story of countless others, and as I read the pages of Scripture, and I read what the psalmists say, and I read how Peter recounts his love and reception and understanding God's love for him, I say, I know this is possible. I want this to be true. Yet if I'm honest about my own life, it feels like sometimes it's just that illusion out there. You know, like that same thing we say, you know, next week will be less busy than this week. Next week I'll have more time. That illusion of something that we're constantly striving after. But I believe, I believe that this can happen for me, that God can grant me this out of his grace and that God can make me realize his great love for me, and I believe he can do that for you as well. Enjoying him, not just the idea of him. So today we're in Psalm 119, verses 1 through 16. There's a longer portion to the psalm. In the end, it gets into some Old Testament, may sinners be struck from the face of the earth and all of that. I don't want that to distract us from the portion that we're reading today, okay? So when I stop at 16 and you say, well, what about the rest of the psalm? Go ahead and read it. But today I want us to focus on 1 through 16. This is a psalm of David. David was the chosen king of God. It was the one to whom God said, you are the apple of my eye. Guess what? Even though David was God's chosen king, even though David was the apple of God's eye, I want you to know very squarely and understand deeply today that you are as special to God as David was. And as we go through, we're going to see why that is true. So let's take a peek into the life of the one who lived with the realization of God's love for him, perhaps like nobody else. The first thing I want you to see out of this text is that because God loves you, he knows you. Because God loves you, he knows you. 139, to the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. 
Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Three times in these first four verses, the word yada appears. Yada. Yada is the Hebrew word that means, I mean, obviously in, in English, to know. It's the word that's translated, but it has a deeper meaning. It doesn't just mean to know, as in to have knowledge of some fact. Yada is a word that connotes the idea of deep and intimate understanding. Interestingly enough, this word yada is the same word that's used for sexual intercourse in the Old Testament. So when it says that Adam knew his wife Eve, it's Adam yadad, his wife Eve. He knew her intimately in the most comprehensive sense. This is the same word that this writer, David, uses to describe how God knows him. Completely. Intimately. He knows everything. The good and the bad. The good and the bad. He says, you search out my path. He's interested, you see, in David's life. That word search out, it's it's not that just God is looking at David's path or that God knows David's path in the general sense. It's God is doting over David's path. He's seeking out and searching to observe it and to know it well. He does the same for you in your life. He's interested in you. He watches over you and your walk in this world. He doesn't just seek your obedience, nor does he just seek to punish your disobedience, which is a misunderstanding of how God works now, but God wants to know you better and to know, he wants you to know that he knows you. It's about relationship. So you might ask yourself, okay, well, it's God. God knows everything. In fact, that's part of who God is, isn't it? He's omniscient. He can know every fact that ever was. He can know what could have happened. He can know what might have happened, and he can know what didn't happen. So how is that any type of blessing to me, that God knows me because he knows everyone? Throughout the pages of Scripture, there is this idea that there are God's people and there are not God's people. God's people have a special and covenant relationship with God. So God has created everybody and everything. He is the creator of all that exists. Yet God specially and differently loves those upon whom he has set his heart. That's us. That's us. I remember, I talked about this before, but well, let me say this. You know, Lane and I, we, we will play this game sometimes where We'll say, I love you. And instead of saying, I love you too, we say, why? Why? Because it's easy to just say, I love you too. It's that common phrase that just comes right off the tongue. You never think twice about it. But they have to stop and ask somebody, well, why? It forces us to stop and think, and really, this is my words of affirmation coming out. This might have been my game. I might have put this game into play. But It forces us to think as to why we love the other person. I mean, really, really. And some of the biggest blessings of my life have been hearing her response to that question, why? I think we look at God the same way. We have God, we hear God say, I love you, and we say, I love you too, and we go about our day. But we have the opportunity to stop and ask God, why? Why do you love me? 
we have the opportunity to hear what he really thinks about us. That's what we're talking about today when we're reading the pages of Scripture. Are we listening to what God is really saying about us, about me, about you? Or are we so generalizing it or abstracting it that it loses all of its power in our life? All of its power. Our sin, our shame, and Satan loves to take the truth that God knows everything and twist it and say, wow, he's seeing everything you're doing right now and he's waiting to smite you. The axe is even ready to fall right now. Is this how you want to live your life? And it creates a situation where we begin to walk in this idea that if I don't stay up and stay right and do exactly what God wants, that God's going to come down on me, that God's going to punish me, that God's going to get me. But this is not the heart of our Father. It says that our God is quick to forgive. He's ever-present and ready to forgive. The moment we turn and say, Lord, for done. Done. This is how much he loves us. God is not tisk-tisking us every time we do something that is not perfect. Sometimes I feel that God looks upon me and is just disappointed. Disappointed. So I work harder to be better, to do different, to think different, ever and ever hoping that God will no longer be disappointed with me. Yet this is a basic misunderstanding of who God is. I know many of you walk like this too. Because of what Christ has done on our behalf, that disappointment is gone. Because we, of what Christ has done on the cross for us and our it, taking that by faith, absorbing that, owning that by faith, God looks upon us with nothing but approval and love, the love we were always intended to have. Next week, we're going to look more specifically at how our sinfulness and how our shame can affect the way God, can affect God's posture Towards us. I'll give you a spoiler alert. They don't, but we'll get there next week. God is marveling in love at you, admiring his handiwork. As we'll see, God looks upon you and says, You are amazing. Why? Because I made you, because I love you. In the book of Genesis, it says, After God created everything, he stood back and he said, Behold, this is good. God was not declaring a moral judgment or evaluation of his creation. I think a better way to understand what God is saying here is God is saying, like, similar to how an artist would be once he's done painting. An artist would create, or a craftsman would create a piece of furniture or something like it, stand back and say, that's good. That's good. And because God is perfect, and because God creates perfectly, his declaration of it is good stands. It is the benchmark by which everything is judged. So when God looks at you in your life, let me say it differently, your person, the person he created you to be, he says, that's good. This one's good. Now, do not take this to mean that because God loves you, he accepts you just the way you are. He does not. It is because of God's love for you that he longs for you to shed the sin and the shame of your disobedience. God loves you so much he invests in you and in initiative acts for you that you would be changed. Not that you would simply obey him, but that your life would be full of the blessing he so badly wants to give you. 
Sometimes in life it feels like I can't have what I have because God is being a wet rag. He's a killjoy. I want this. I don't see how this can be such a bad thing. And God says, no, I don't want you to do this. He convicts us with his spirit and says, you should not be doing this. And we wonder why. Why can't I have this thing? Why can't I have this person? It's because God is good and he loves us. That he withholds that which might seem good now for that which is best sometimes later. He knows how you struggle for these things. He knows the sins that you deal with, the selfishness that pervades your life. He sees your crises and your situations. He knows. He's acquainted. He studies. He dotes over you. And he has answered them all in Christ. When I struggle in this life, when I don't understand something, when I want something that I can't have, when I'm struggling with a sin, the answer is Jesus. When I was in seminary, in all of our biblical interpretation classes, they would often ask a question, what does this word mean? What does this sentence mean? What does this passage mean? And the answer you could always get an A for was the word context. Well, it matters, context. It depends on how you understand it, given the surrounding truths to that statement or to that word. So we had a little cheat answer, context. Well, guess what? We have a cheat answer in life too. We don't understand something, answer Jesus. We do understand something. I want to praise. What can I pray? Jesus. The answer of this Christian life, of our life here on earth, is always in one way or another, Christ. Birth, life, death, and resurrection that gives us answers. How is this possible? Let me give you, for instance, let's say that I really want to do something. I want to spend my money on something that I know God doesn't want me to spend my money on. There's a million other things I could be investing in. Yet I want this toy, okay? So I pray and hope that God's will is really my will. God, you're a good God. Every good thing comes down from the Father of lights, and you withhold no good thing from your children. Lord, I really want this Corvette. And you said, if I love you with all my heart, that you will give me the desires of my heart. Lord, I love you with all my heart. Now give me this vet, as if God were some sort of vending machine, okay? And he says no. And I know he says no. The truth is, is I know he says no before I even bring the prayer to him. So while he knows what's going to be on my tongue before it even comes out, I also know the answer of what I'm going to ask before it happens. And so I ask, and he says no. Well, how does the answer Jesus answer that? Well, for me, I think about what am I seeking in that Corvette? Am I seeking excitement, fulfillment, reputation? Am I seeking a time to distract myself from this world and all of the struggles in it? If I am, that means that I'm idolizing that. And the answer to my issue in the end is Jesus. How can Jesus deal with the struggles in my life? How can Jesus give me the power to overcome the struggles with which I deal with? How can Jesus intervene in a crisis that I'm going through? I don't need a vet. I need a savior. I need a savior. Christ answers all of the struggles of this world. The answers that we need are found in him. You know, it says God knows us, but I think if we're honest, we can say there are times that God, it doesn't seem like God is even looking, does it? Like our lives going to pieces and we're like, where are you? I mean, this was the opinion and the cry of the heart of so many people in the scripture. Moses, you took us out of Egypt to kill us in the desert. Where are you? 
David, Lord, do you even see what my enemies are doing right now? Are you even paying attention? Even the disciples. Lord, do you not see that we're about to sink? That the storm is about to scuttle the ship? But God knows. God knows, and out of his love, he has provided an answer. In this life, or ultimately in the next. He has not forgotten you. Because he loves you, he knows you, he sees everything. This is a tremendous truth that can be dangerous, too. I remember talking to somebody who works in a ministry who deals with um, women who were sexually assaulted or were victims of sexual assault. And let me take that back. It might not just be women. It might be both. Sexual assault. And one of the, the things that they would talk about frequently in their meetings, in their times together, would be the answer to the question, well, where was God when all this was happening? If all of this was happening and I had to struggle and be victimized in this way, where was God in this? This is the truth. And this is the hard truth. He was there. He was there. When that truth is met with the understanding of God's deep love for us, it changes the way we understand the bad things that happen in our lives. Where we can say, yes, God is good. And God is loving. And he knows and was there when I went through whatever you want. We all have something. When we embrace that truth, it changes the things that, with, that hold us back in our Christian walk because they have lost some of their power over our lives. God has not forgotten you. God has never left you. God knows you better than you know yourself. And when he tells you something about you, you should believe it. We should believe it. Listen to what Isaiah writes, how he says this about God. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. We think of a mother would never, we look at a mother and a child and their love for one another. In that most idyllic and perfect sense, we say that is true love. There's a connection there deeper than anything we can understand. There's something special about that. And Isaiah relates that idea. God's talking to us and saying, look, even the way a mother loves her child, I will not forget you. And even if a mother did, my love for you and my knowledge of you, my promise to you is forever. Because God loves you, he knows you. But more than that, he cares for you. God protects you from the threats that seek to destroy you, often yourself. I don't know how many times God has intervened to prevent me from doing something stupid that would have made a mess of my life because he cares for me. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before, you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. What David is saying is on the walk of life, on the path of life, God is hemming him in. God is going before him and standing behind him and protecting him. This idea, this word of being hemmed in is also the idea of like laying siege to a town. They'd lock themselves in. The enemy would come around the town and they would lob things into the city. They'd try to destroy the wall. What God is saying is, I am that wall. I am the wall that surrounds you and protects you from the things in this world that seek to destroy you. On your path, 
In this world, there are dangers before and behind. I mean, the dangers before us are the things we cannot see. The unknowns in this life. The dangers behind us are the memories, the pasts, the sins that come back to haunt us, the shame that we carry from what's happened in the past. So God protects us from the frontal assaults of life and the attacks in the rear. But why doesn't it seem this way? Doesn't it always seem, that doesn't always seem true, does it? It seems like there are times where God could have easily intervened and let something not happen, but yet he did. I don't know. It's a hard answer. I mean, even David says, it's too high. I can't attain it. These are too wonderful. In Isaiah, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, but I know this is that God is good, that God loves me. And also, we don't know how it could have turned out. Sometimes we become victims or hurt ourselves or others hurt us or catastrophe happens and we say, this is the worst that can happen. When the truth is what we have received, what has happened in our lives could very well be the blessing of God preventing what really could have happened. You know, like the stories where you hear about car crashes or fires or planes going down and someone's layover didn't work out or they missed the flight and they recognized that could have been me. Even in our terrible moments, we can say it could be worse because it can. It can. Life can be so much harder. And God protects us from that. It's interesting about the Hebrew conception of time, sort of this walking on a path. In Hebrew, it's actually opposite. In the Jewish mind, it was different during this time this was written. So we're on our path. We're walking forward. We're saying, I see everything in front of me, and I don't see anything behind me. But that's not really the case, is it? Because we've already walked down that path. So if anything, we know it's on the path. So for a Hebrew mind, walking is backwards. I see what has already happened. It's before me. The past is in my mind's eye and in my sight, even in this moment. It's what comes behind. Can you imagine walking through life backwards? How many times you would bump into things? How many times you would feel vulnerable? Try going down a set of stairs that you didn't know were there. I mean, that's life. That's life. Yet God promises to protect you because he cares for you. He loves you for you. It says, your hand is upon me. That's an interesting phrase because God's hand upon someone signifies God's work usually in bringing about repentance. There's a phrase in another place in the scripture where it talks about God's hand was heavy upon me. It's Psalm 32 where he says, you know, before I was honest about my sin, my bones were wasting away, my life was leaving me, your hand was heavy upon me. While God hems us in and protects us from the things of this world, he also places his hand upon us, giving us pressure because he wants repentance. And he wants that repentance because he knows this is what we need. In order to turn to him, Psalm 119.71 says, It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might know thy statutes. The things in my life that I've allowed to have happened to me and have happened to me outside of my control in the end have brought about a condition in my heart that I have now turned to the Lord and this is the Lord's will for you as well. To allow the things that happen in your life to be a message and symbol of God's love for you. Not his anger. Not his hatred. In two weeks, we're going to, actually in three weeks, we're going to talk about God's love in discipline. In discipline. 
You know, God's care is comprehensive and unassailable. He hems us in. We're completely protected. Why? Well, first of all, I mean, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. There's not a place that he could not be to protect us from the things of this world. He's always there to defend and protect you. Verse 7 says it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? He says, if I ascend to heaven, there you are. If I make my bed in Sheol, there you are. Sheol is this Old Testament conception of the underworld. What the writer is saying, what David is saying is, no matter where I go, God, you are there. He says, if I take to the wings of the morning and go up into the vault of the firmament or dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, as far as you can get from each other, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. When I read this, I think about God leading us through the, through the fray of life. You know, the sea, when it talks about the sea in the scripture, it almost always talks about this idea of chaos. Sometimes it talks about the nations, okay? It talks about this idea of this power that's sort of primordial and who's just moving and that's just unknowable, chaos. I think of a famous person being led through a, the paparazzi by a bodyguard. What if our lives are like that? What if we take what God's word says to be true and we recognize that when we walk this life, we are walking through a throng of beings that seek to destroy us. That we're walking through a throng of chaos and crises and situations that seek to distract us from God. That our lives are always being attacked For the evil one seeks to take us off course. Because if he can, we can achieve our chief end, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so as we walk through this life, surrounded by those that would seek to pull us off course, I was going to pull a Kevin Costner, Whitney Houston thing, but God protects us. Paparazzi. There's a spiritual reality that we cannot see. We have spiritual enemies that seek to destroy us. And if God took his hand away and no longer hemmed us in, we would feel it and we would know it. Yet God, out of his tremendous love, protects us from the throng. Not only is God all-present, but God's all-powerful. Omnipotent, verse 10, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand, right hand shall hold me. Whenever you read about God's right hand or his hand, think of God's power. That's what's really being described. In the New Testament, in the book of John, we think of Jesus' words to the disciples promising that no one will snatch them, you, out of my hand, out of my Father's hand. My Father is greater than them. What Jesus is saying is my Father has all power to hold us secure. God has all power to hold you secure. Not only is God all-present, God all-powerful, I let, God sees in the dark. God sees in the dark. Verses 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day. The darkness is as light with you. God can see in the dark when we cannot. Being in the military, I spent a lot of my training um, wearing night vision goggles night vision goggles. Now back when I was in, I guess like 98, 99, when I was doing that, there was still like this grainy picture, but I'm astounded when I watch on TV and they show pictures of night vision, like military operations. It's like daytime. It's like daytime. And that is one of the ways that the U.S. military and other militaries gain an edge 
gain an edge because they can see in the dark. We get used to the dark, don't we? Our eyes get accustomed to being there, but we still can't see everything. God can see everything. No ambushes, no surprises, certainly nothing that will destroy us. He allows these things to happen, bad things to happen, but he's there. He protects us. We can't see our future, the motives of others, but what is happening all around us, but God can. And he promises to protect us from anything that might destroy us. So God knows you, God cares for you. And because God loves you, you are special. Perhaps some of the most famous words in this psalm For you formed my inward parts, verse 13. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Here we see a beautiful and clear expression of God's direct hand in our lives, even from the womb. Even from the womb. There are those, I think, that discount this statement and say something like, well, the Bible's not true. God didn't knit anything together. That was the biological processes that happened in maternal gestation. That can't possibly be God. But this severely misunderstands the nature of God and is working in the world. God affects his will through means. Those means are frequently people. In this case, it's biology. That means the means are the proximate cause. But the ultimate cause of what happens on here and on earth is God. God created us in the womb. Think about that. I want you to think about that. That in the womb... Before you were born, God was there. He knew you. He had intricate eyes on you and hands on you and loved you and loved you. And our response to this should be David's. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. You know, you are custom built. You are custom built. There is no other person on the face of the world or ever through history that has been you. There is only you. I hear this all the time. As kids, we hear it all the time. But really think about this. There has only ever been you. And we are custom built. The word wonderfully made carries the idea of distinctiveness and unusualness. We're unusual. We're special and different. God did something new and distinctive when he created you. He broke the mold. There's only one. In the New Testament, in the book of Luke, it says that he's numbered the hairs on our head. That's more than just God knowing how many are there. He numbered them. So as if God were going through your hair, he'd say, oh, there's 4,698. That's how well he knows us. That's how well he loves us. And so David brags. David considers his own creation and says, I'm amazing. I'm awesome. My body is amazing. The fact that I live is amazing. And all of this by virtue of the God who loved me and the God who knew me and the God who cares for me. What if instead of denigrating our bodies and lives and how hard here it is on earth sometimes, we marvel and praise God for giving us this life and for giving us this body? and possess and hold on to the truth that God has made us wonderfully and fearfully. We often forget, David says, you know, I forget. But we need to talk about it. We need to journal about it. We need to pray about it. We need to sing about it. 
We need to remind ourselves often. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. David's talking about himself in the womb, creating him piece by piece, weaving him together in love. You see, God planned for you. Your life's not an accident. There's this idea sometimes of like illegitimate babies or I was an accident or I was not planned or God planned for you. It's no surprise that you were born when you were, to whom you were born. It's no surprise the personality you had, the things that have happened to you because God has planned for you. And he was waiting for just the right time that you would come, that you would be made, that you would be born. I think about the fact that God has chosen us in love. His children, before the beginning of the foundations of the world, book of Ephesians says that we who God has set his heart upon have always been in his heart for eternity. There was never a time, ever, where God did not know and love you. Think about that. There was never a time where God said, you know what, I think one day I'm going to create Adam, me. No. For eternity past, God knew me. I'm wrapped up in who God is. What a tremendous truth that my life, in that sense, my, the thought of me, the love of me has been eternal. Always in the heart of God. You were chosen. You're part of God's eternal plan, part of his story. Your life is part of his story. You were in his heart before the beginning of the world. And because God loves you and it cares for you and knows you, your life has a purpose. Perhaps a better way of saying this is because, because God loves you, your life has the purpose. The purpose. 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. This unformed substance piece, some biblical scholars believe that this actually refers to a fetus in the womb. Unformed substance. All the way back. God knew our days and knew what would happen in our lives all the way back. And he loved us. All of the events in your life, your birth, your childhood, everything you've struggled with, your adulthood, are a culmination of God's plan for you. God knows everything you've ever done and ever will do, good and bad. They're all part of God's grand plan to show his love. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork. Again, that's that idea of God's creating and standing back and going, that's good. We're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we have a mission. You have a purpose. We have a role. Kevin Van Hooser, a theologian at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, talks about the idea of theodrama. That when we read the Bible, it's really like a script for a play. That God is the author of that play. That me, as the pastor or the preacher, are the director, is the director of that play. That you guys are cast members in the play of God's epic love story across time. 
you have a part that only you can play. There are no understudies for your life. It is you. Part of living and experiencing love, the love of God is stepping into that God-given role, is embracing the idea that God has a plan for me, that God has a purpose for me. The world doesn't get this, though, and they cannot, so they seek meaning everywhere else, and sometimes we fall into it, too. But it's a fool's errand, because life apart from God is meaningless. We can try to throw our own meaning in there. We can try to add something or... It's meaningless. When you're really honest, Netflix has a show right now, something like, I should have looked up the title, something about infinity. Type infinity and you'll find it. And it's a series of scientists, philosophers, interestingly enough, I don't remember there being any theologians in there, mathematicians, talking about infinity and what does it mean? Does it exist? Does it not exist? What? And throughout the whole program, you get this sense that they have no idea what they're talking about. Part of it is because it's infinity. What do you say? You can't. We'll never experience it. We don't know how to experience it. What, we're, not, we're finite. But the conclusion they come to at the end is, yeah, it's scary, but let's make the best of it while we can. What a terrible purpose for life. It's like, okay, we're living, so let's just do whatever we can to do what? Have the most joy, have the most satisfaction, not hurt other people, live a way that is as peaceful and drama-free as possible. But why? Why? When you really get down to it and you're willing to shed every pretense, every excuse, and really look at what is the purpose of life, apart from God, meaningless meaningless. Now, what if your life were energized by the truth that since the beginning of time, for eternity past, you've had a role, that God has had a plan for you in your life, that God loves you so much with an unending and undying love that he sent his own son that you should live, that he sent Christ to die on your behalf, that we should live. This is love, that Christ came and died while we were still sinners. This is love. And if you were the only sinner on earth, Christ would have died for you. Think about that. Christ would come to rescue you. That's how much he loves us. Because he loves you, he knows you intimately. Because he loves you, he cares for you and protects you even when it seems like he doesn't, like things happen. Because he loves you, you're special to him. And so your life has a purpose. May we live in that purpose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we admit, Lord, that we do not see the reality of your great love for us all the time. We pray, Lord, that you would bless us and that you would give us a sense of your love. We pray, Lord, that you would show us what it means to really walk and experience your love for us. Pray, Lord, that you would show us what a life like that means. Lord, if we don't know you, if, if, if there are people here that don't know you, we ask, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them.
Lord, I, it's my prayer that they know that if they hear what I'm saying now, it's evidence that God is speaking to them, that you are speaking to them. That if what I'm saying is making sense, that, Lord, it is you intervening in their lives to tell them the truth. I pray, Lord, that today would be the day of their salvation, that today they would simply trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, for our living on mission, something of an example here of God's loving us even from the womb, I've invited Wayne to come on up and share a little bit about legislation uh, that's going on, the pro-life legislation that's going on here in Illinois. I think it's really important for us to know when we talk about this. I hope I don't say what he's about to say. Legislation is important, but it's changed hearts that matter. It's changed hearts. We have a responsibility for people who love God and know that we've been called from the womb and that God loves every single baby that's being created, that we share that, that we live that truth and be willing to stand before others around us on that. And Jesus. So I'm um, home. Is this on? Am I on? No. I'll take it. Oh, wait, it's on. Great. Terrific. Wow. So with that great introduction, um, let me show you a couple of pictures before I give you an update. Um, can we get those up? First one. Look at that smiling face baby. This is a 32 to 36 month old baby in the womb. This is a high def ultrasound. Okay. Wow. Wow. That's good. So a smiley face. Uh, notice the really, I mean, it's really cute, kind of, you know. It's like this high-definition ultrasound. This is a baby inside of mom's womb, uh, 32 to 36 weeks in gestation. Now look at this picture. Uh, let's see. Do you see that pout, that, like, upset look on that face? This is the, uh, <laughs> the same baby. And um, these photographs were taken at the fetal and needle, neonatal uh, research lab in uh, Durham University in England. And uh, that baby's frowning, and the other one was smiling, not because um, their mother was frowning and smiling, but because what they had done was they had the mother, uh, and one day, take a little tablet that was full of kale powder, and she ate it, and the baby did that. <laughs> <laughs> and then going back to the other picture, the mom, another day, took a little tablet that was full of carrot powder, sweet carrot powder, and the baby did that. So not only do babies have their own DNA inside of a mom, their own nervous system, their own heartbeat. They have their own taste. But this is the big thing. Inside of mom's womb, this baby 
is developing its own preferences. These are things that this child will have all of its life. I, you, we often hear, you know, my body, my choice. I think we should all agree to that. I think we should say yes. But I think that that same slogan should be true for little babies inside of wombs. It's their body. And it's their choice to live. So let me give you some... Um, I want to introduce you to a person, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, whose name is uh, Ralph River. Uh, I'm sorry, Ralph Rivera. I met Ralph at, uh, in, down in Springfield when I was down there, uh, when I was invited to, to open up the, uh, the House or the Senate sessions with an invocation. And um, I happened to be in one of the rep's offices when Ralph came in. Ralph is the legislative chairman of uh, Right to Life here in Illinois. Um, so what does that mean? That means that he lobbies with all the Illinois Assembly in Springfield for the silent voices of the preborn babies uh, for all the Right to Life legislation. So he goes from rep to rep, from senator to senator, and he talks to them about the importance of life. He talks to them about the importance of legislation that will protect life. And, um, and he's been, <laughs> he does it really well. He's a really respected guy. People really love him. A lot of people don't agree with him. But they know that the man is truly believing what he's sharing. And he, they respect him for that. Uh, he wanted me to know, among other things, that with the current administration and the loss of pro-life, seven pro-life representatives, uh, the Abortion Parental Notice Act was repealed. Now, you may or may not have known that, but it's important for you to, to understand where things are going. And what does that mean? That means that minors can go in for an abortion without the parents ever knowing it. So that is back on the table in the state of Illinois. I uh, also want you to know that he wanted us to know that um, pro-choice lobbyists are really pushing for a new thing that's called abortion access uh, and legislation. And basically what that comes down to is they want to be able to have the state pay for all transportation, lodging, and food for women coming out of state to Illinois for an abortion. So Illinois is becoming a destination for abortion. Uh, we all, they also wanted us to know uh, that um, they are pushing for legislation to allow for non-physicians to perform abortions. Why is that? It's because there's so many women that are flooding in from the surrounding states that they don't have enough doctors who are willing to perform an abortion. Um, he also wanted us to know that uh, the state is pushing for funding Planned Parenthood so that it can increase their reach with more and more locations around the state. And all those locations are being put along the border of the state, where other states can have access to them. Um, they're also pushing for legislation that would require crisis pregnancy centers like Caring Network to be licensed in order 
basically to shut them down because they'll put things in the licensing that they couldn't agree with. So they're pushing all the legislative buttons to promote everything that's on their side of pro-choice and at the same time developing legislation that would reduce the opportunity that pro-life organizations would have to serve women. As an aside, I found out from Ralph that um, Planned Parenthood has just um, launched their first abortion mobile unit in southern Illinois. Um, so depending on the legislation that happens in the near future, it's possible for this scenario to happen. So imagine a mobile abortion unit visiting the local high school or college campus where minors can receive what's supposed to be a safe abortion performed by a non-physician. That's all possible depending on what legislation gets approved. So Ralph asked for two things. And I really appreciate that he never asked for money <laughs> because it just showed me that his heart was about, you know, saving babies and loving women. I mean, you know, we talk about the, the pain. Uh, I, I just imagine the pain of a, of, a, of a woman who's put in a place where she has to decide whether she wants to have this baby or not. There's, there's, there's two human beings that are hurt by this. I mean, even in this room, with the odds or the numbers of women who had, have had abortions, there's women in here who have had abortions. And they need to know how much Jesus loves them, how much he cares for them. And, and basically, the way that Jesus loves and cares for people is through you and me. We have to be approachable enough so that we could show our love and care for women who are in this type of crisis mode. So anyway, I just want you to think about that. So anyway, he said two things that Ralph wanted. One was to pray and the other was to vote. So he wanted to, us to pray for him for endurance. Uh, as he goes around and talks with all of the legislators. He liked us to pray for open doors and open hearts uh, in the Illinois House and Senate. Um, I've been down there, and I've, I've spoken with both sides of the aisle, both sides of lots of different of, uh, oh, issues. I'm kind of a unicorn because I'm pro-life, but I'm also a gun control guy. So no one knows what to do with me. Um, but anyway, so please pray for open hearts and open doors as he talks to individuals. And he also said, um, just vote. You know, he, he, he just wants you to prayerfully decide what your values are and go out and vote that way. So just prayerfully decide how to vote and then vote. And then I'd like to add a couple of prayer requests 
And one is that the hearts of Americans would shift from abortion to adoption. That, that, that could just happen. Um, let me tell you a quick story. 30 years ago, a woman in California, a single woman, got pregnant. And she decided, rather than have an abortion, that she was going to go full term with the baby, which she did. In 1992, she gave birth to a little baby boy, put it up for adoption the day he was born, and immediately a Christian couple adopted him. Well, that little bugger turned out to a six foot seven, 282 pound guy that just hit 62 home runs. And he could have been aborted. And he wasn't. He wasn't. Just imagine how many presidents, how many Nobel Prize winners we've lost. Think about it. How many just good moms and dads have been lost because of this? So anyway, pray that, pray that the hearts of Americans shift from abortion to adoption. Pray for the women who have had abortions and find themselves maybe brokenhearted from their choice. Help them and pray that God would just show them that Jesus loves them and wants to care for them. Pray for the women who also find themselves in the situation of an unwanted or, or crisis pregnancy to receive the love and the care and the support that we have to offer. Uh, and that would lead them to choosing life for their babies. So pray for Ralph as endurance, open hearts, open doors. Just prayerfully vote. Pray for the hearts of Americans to move from abortion to adoption. And pray for the women who have had abortions and the women who are thinking about it, that we could love them and care for them. Sound good? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've heard what's on our heart. Lord, I do pray, Father, that you would bring your, your incredible love, your incredible care, your incredible blessings to, to women who find themselves in really difficult situations. Please help us to care for them, help us to love them, help us to support them. And, and Lord, I just pray that you would just change our, all of our hearts, Lord God, to, um, to bring the idea of adopting someone instead of aborting someone and make that possible for people across the board, across the country. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.